Hello and welcome to the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? I'm doing great, Parker. Uh, I had a really good weekend and a, a little fun fact for uh, everyone following Grant's golf journey out there. I shot the second uh, best round of golf in my life over the weekend. Nice. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of a golf Luddite. So is that like at a course you did your second best record or like relative to par absolute your best round ever? Uh, absolute to par. So I've shot 76 twice at Bay City Country Club, which is my home course. And then uh, on Sunday, I was up in Dallas, Fort Worth visiting some friends and we played Irving Country Club and I shot a 77. Uh, I was one un- one over par for the last 15 holes after a really bad start. So, you know, really, really uh, firing on all cylinders as we head into uh, head into the fall. Nice. That's a, that's some great momentum here. Yeah, it it is. Uh, how are you, man? I'm doing great. We're in uh, middle of nowhere, Southwest Colorado. I'm working on, working on previews, working on CFB graphs, got to go on, uh, Sirius XM big 12 radio this morning, talk with Ari Temkin and, and the guys about, you know, the big 12 season and, and nerdy stats and all that. So really enjoying kind of ramping up for the season. We're what 40, 45 days away. It's, 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 it's coming up. Yeah, it is. It is getting here quick. And uh, Parker, how's this for a little transition? You know, it wouldn't be an intro to a college football season if there wasn't talk about realignment. I know you love realignment, Parker. I, I'm starting to wonder, you know, th- there's that meme of the Simpsons where it's like, am I out of touch? Or no, it's the kids <laughs> that are wrong. And with college football, I'm like, man, I'm hating more and more about what college football is becoming. Is that Does that mean I'm out of touch? I don't know. Let's talk well, about stupid realignment. That's fine. Okay, listen. We uh, first off, I, I I've made this joke before. Every uh, teenage college football fan of the country had a binder with a realignment plan in high school, and they're like, "Listen, if if Bob Bowlesby would just listen to me, you know, we could get this working." Uh, okay, here's what we're gonna do, and, and for the for our own mental health, I have my phone. I have a timer set for five minutes. We're gonna talk about realignment for five minutes and nothing more, and then we're gonna get to the Texas preview. Are you ready? Okay, I agree to these terms. All right, three, two, one, go. So, Brent uh, Zwimmerman, the uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right, the Texas A&M reporter uh, for, or, yeah, for the Houston Chronicle, reported that an announcement could come within a couple weeks regarding the addition of Oklahoma and Texas to a 14-member SEC. Uh, Parker, your thoughts? Wait, first, is that? Well, oh, sorry. It, they will be sixteen members. They're fourteen 16, members yeah. now. So, yes. so the first, the first super conference. Yeah. Um, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think that you know, looking at this from a TCU perspective, first, Texas and Oklahoma both got saddled with TCU. They didn't want to. They didn't have any other options. Chris Del Conte was very savvy in in in. Um, I mean, the the you know the the move to the Big East, sending the Big East a blank check and saying "screw you, we're not a part of this anymore," and getting in the Big Twelve. The the you know TC landed extremely favorably in conference realignment, and I think that the Longhorn Network has not been what Texas thought it would be, and so it would not surprise me if they were looking to kind of saddle up with the SEC and kind of the first super conference, especially as we have conversations about playoff expansion, conversations about playoff expansion and conference realignment have to go hand in hand. Like you just can't, Mm -hmm. there's no way you have one without the other. And so it's really, you know, uh, I feel like it makes a lot of sense that we're talking about this now, how serious it is. 
I can't pretend to know. I know the Big 12's TV rights are up in, what, 2025? Yeah. I know that Oklahoma is pissed about 11 o'clock kickoffs. Granted, that's their fault for beating every team 77 to nothing, so it's bad TV. Um, and, and so I understand that. I understand Texas's eternal quest for off-field prestige because they cannot have on-field prestige. And so I get it. I understand completely, you know, Oklahoma's frustration and Texas saying we're not good on the field. We need to be good elsewhere. Conference realignment makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, think about four years in college football is is a long time, but four years in the business world is, is really not a long time. Right. We're talking about TV deals and all that. So, yeah, I, I think it surprises me more that Oklahoma is involved in this than it does that Texas is involved in this. And maybe that's a little bit of biases, but I think, you know, Texas does what it wants. It's the richest athletic program in the country. And if it wants to find its way into the SEC, I'm sure there's some amount of financial dealings that they can do to get themselves in there. I also think, it, like you said, it gives them a little bit of credence, um, even if they can't win on the field. Hey, we're still you know a member of the SEC, and there may not be a single fan base, school, team, whatever, that is more built to embrace the, you know, it just means more mindset than the Texas Longhorns. But Oklahoma, it seems to me like they're in a good spot. They dominate the conference. They've gotten into the playoffs several times. They, you know, are putting players in the NFL left and right. I I don't necessarily know what the Sooners have to gain by joining the SEC because it's just going to kind of introduce more competition, whereas they can be, you know, kings of the Big 12 for as long as Lincoln Riley chooses to stay in Norman. That that just kind of surprised me. Yeah, and I think that if we're thinking about a horizon of four to six years, you're absolutely correct. Oklahoma, this is actually a a backward step for Oklahoma um, because what are they lacking, right? Right. I think if you're thinking about college football over a horizon of 10 to 15 years, this is a smart move because you're saddling yourself with the power broker of college football. And you're effectively, uh, if Oklahoma and Texas go to the SEC, it doesn't matter what Baylor wants. It doesn't matter what Kansas wants oh, in basketball. No. It doesn't matter. I mean, Oklahoma could go and win the Big 12 in, or excuse me, the SEC in basketball regularly. Um, and so the, the, those non, you know, I don't think they're looking at those sports. I don't think they're just looking at football. But I think with, if we're talking about conference realignment, I know that if I can be aligned with Alabama, I'd rather be aligned with Alabama than TCU. Oh, for, for sure. I, I, and, and, yeah. and so I think that's it's it's kind of a future proof move. Um, if they leave, the Big 12 is dead and that leaves a vacuum. And I think that's very interesting. Um, I'm a little bit black pilled here. And, and by black pilled, I just mean I'm I, I'm I'm negative uh, kind of kind of perverting a um, a matrix reference. But mm-hmm. I think when everything shakes out, I think TCU is back in the American or whatever the American looks like. And they are more in, I think they and Baylor are going to end up with the Memphis SMU Houston's and not with the Texas, Texas A&M, Texas or Oklahoma's. Um, yeah. I think Oklahoma State could even oh, in there. Hey, oh, that's time. Cut it. We're done. That's Five great. minutes. We're done. Okay. I'm done. That is all of our I, I agree to these terms. I have no more thoughts. I'm going to open a beer. Is that okay? Can I open a beer on this podcast, Grant? Yeah, absolutely. Um, only if you tell us what you're drinking. This is a um, Hookie Bob. India Pale Ale from Crazy Mountain Brewing Company in, I don't know where it's from. It doesn't say where it's from on the label. Uh, it has a buffalo on the label, which is why I bought it, because I really like buffalo. So, 
They used to call you Hookie Bob in a uh, in high school, right? They did. They did used to call me that. <laughs> okay, Parker. Well, we've kind of talked about them a little bit, but let's get to the subject of the majority of tonight's episode. That would be our friends in Austin, Texas, the Texas Longhorns. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Steve Sarkeesian in a, in a, in a bit, um, because you and I both watched a, a clinic that he did, and we have a lot of thoughts about it. But, but if you don't mind, can I kind of give the overview of, of where I think Texas is going into this year? I do. Can I set you up for this? Sure. Let's, let's make this more formal. I'll set you up. Grant, we're going to talk about Texas tonight. We should have switched roles there. Are you aware that Texas in the last decade, has one season of double-digit wins? I am aware. It's very funny. It, it is. I love Charlie Strong. We'll talk about this later, I guess. But, man, uh, it's it's sad in some levels. In other levels, it's very funny. Um, Grant, what do we need to know about Texas? Who is Texas? What are, what are we talking about? Who is Texas? Texas uh, is a state that was admitted to the Union under James K. Po- no, I'm kidding. Uh, the Texas Longhorns, uh, well— so last year they were seven and three. They were five and three in the Big Twelve. They finished ranked nineteenth. All three losses were by combined thirteen points, and yet they still fired Tom Herman, which is very funny. Um, they had a good high. I mean, a productive offense. Caveman stats have them at seventh in the country in points per game. Uh, middling defense, twenty eight point five points per game. But again, you weigh that against competition, pass heavy, uh, you know, scoring heavy Big Twelve. So uh, probably a better than average defense. Um, like I said, we're going to talk about Sark, but. I will just say on a personal note, I like him, and I like what he does with offenses. I kind of want him to succeed, but I'm worried for him at Texas just because of the big money boosters. It's a lot like Charlie Strong, like you mentioned. Like, man, I like you, but I hope you know what you're doing. Tom Herman, screw him, who cares? But I want Sark to work out. I just wish it wasn't in Austin. Anyway, so Sark inherits a decent amount of turnover. Right, You lose your starting quarterback at Sam Ellinger, a budding NFL star tackle in Samuel Cosme, uh, Good running back in Keontae Ingram, two pretty good wideouts in Brennan Eagles and Jake Smith, and arguably your three best defenders, uh, Taquan Graham, Chris Brown, and Joseph Osai. But obviously, and this is something he said at Big 12 Media Days, quarterback to Sark is the most important position on the field, and they have to replace Ellinger. It's between Casey Thompson and Hudson Card. So Sark said at Big 12 Media Days, at some point in training camp, I'm going to have to trust my gut, and I've got to name a starter. And when we do, it's not going to be because the other guy gave the job up. They're going to make it tough on me. Now, in my ideal world, that's like monkey claw, uh, you know, or monkey paw curls. And it's just they're both bad. So Sark has to pick the least bad. But that's probably not going to be the case. Still, Sark having to start a new year with a new quarterback and a new system is going to be tough. Uh, he doesn't hear Bijan Robinson, who it's been said a thousand times, might be like the prototypical running back for Sark's system. Like pass catching back, ton of speed. Um... I think Sark can work in Austin. I think his offense is on tape quite a bit. Uh, and while it's worked at every level, there's no doubt he's also been blessed with incredible quarterbacks, right? And we'll get to this, but his success may depend on if Casey Thompson is as good as, or Hudson Card, is as good as Jalen Hurts and two of Tonga were in college, and Matt Ryan was in the pros. And that's a big if, right? Those are, those are good quarterbacks. It's going to take time, and I'm not sold on the defense as well. And that's especially because I don't like Sark's hires at defense, and we'll get to that. Uh, Jeff Choate was the head coach at Montana State and basically only got the job because he worked with uh, Pete Kwiatkowski, the other uh, defensive coordinator along the way. Kwiatkowski comes in Washington, which fine, but still. And he was also Montana State's defensive coordinator way back, which is another reason Choate got hired. Anyway, 
The fans weren't all thrilled about the hire of Sark, if I remember right, and he'll have work to do. I think the worst he can do is repeat Herman's last year, 8-4 and or 9-3, and three, without incurring the wrath. Um, obviously, he won't get fired after this year, right? But there's going to be proof of concept. There has to be, and quick. Otherwise, I think we're going to be typing in orangebloods.com quite a bit this year. Well, I, I as always, I leave the orange buds, uh, orange bloods trolling to you. Um, yeah, I, I think Texas is interesting. Um, in some ways, Texas feels like you know this friend in college, right? He would. Um, it doesn't have to be a he, but I, I think it is a he. He would get drunk on a Tuesday night before a Wednesday test. He would fail the test. He gets the back the test back on Friday, and he says, "You know what? Damn it, I'm not doing this anymore." Not gonna, I'm not going to party. I'm not going to go to the fraternity events. I'm not going to do all of this. I'm going to get my life together. And he goes to the gym on Friday morning and he's like, I'm getting my life together or whatever. And then Friday night, he's like 19 beers in at a, at a party. And you're like, oh, it's happening again. Texas a little bit has felt like that with, with Strong and with Herman. I don't know if, if Sark is necessarily the same kind of arrogance to say we can pull something out of a hat. I think that Strong was obviously flawed. And probably shouldn't have taken the Texas job. I think Tom Herman was entirely unqualified and lobbied for the job. Had a great PR firm, and Texas was desperate to do something that was that was going to respond well to the boosters after Charlie Strong. And so they hired in network, and they hired a guy who had no business being a head coach, who had no business being the head coach at Texas. Um, and then and then said, well, we'll get some sentiment because you know he can tweet out the picture of his business card as a as a GA, and that's going to give mm-hmm. us some goodwill. And so Sark, I do feel like a little bit is, hey, we're making a business decision. We're we're, we're getting a guy who who knows what he's doing with offense, who knows what he's doing with uh, you know he's been around excellence. And so I think Sark's pedigree is 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 a lot better than either of the two hires they've made since Mac Brown. Now, does that translate exactly? I don't, I don't know. I can't say. I mean, he, bringing over Kyle Flood, again, just kind of pulling out people, pulling in people who have been around excellent, high-functioning programs. I think I think And PK also Rutgers. Is, and also Rutgers. We can't forget that. Well, and, and also Rutgers. But, but we can't undersell Nick Saban's school for coaches who can't read good, True. right? Like, um, or wayward coaches, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I'm optimistic I'm not optimistic for 2021 for Texas, and we can dive into that. But I am optimistic about Sark because I think what Texas needs is they need someone to come in and say, shut up and let me win a couple games, and then let's talk about all this. That is not to trivialize the experience of students. That's not to minimize the controversy about legacies. And, like, I'm not wading into any of that. I'm putting eyes of Texas entirely aside. I'm saying you need someone to come in and say, there's a new sheriff in town, and his name is me. Um, can Sark do that? Maybe. I think better than Tom Herman. I think Tom Herman was so obviously insecure that there was no way that he was going to lead a program that was so driven by the whims of, of elderly rich people. Right? Right. So when I look at Sark, I think, okay, outsider knows how to win, understands what Texas is, is humbled. I don't, I don't, I don't think Herman had a single moment in his career before Texas that humbled him. No. And so, uh, I, yeah, so I'll take that disclaimer. Um, I don't care what happened at Washington and USC. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in recovery, and I'm a big yeah. believer in starting anew. Steve Sarkeesian has learned. And and, and so I, I'm, I'm actually really optimistic about him as a leader, and I respect the hell out of him. 
uh, because I do think that he has has humbled himself and kind of learned what do I need to do to be great? And now he has the opportunity to be great. Yeah, I just wanted to interject and say it's the official stance of the Purple Theory podcast that uh, if you make jokes about Sark's previous battles with alcoholism on Twitter, you're blocked. There you go. That's our stance. Um, yeah, I just, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to comment on that. What you said yeah, is yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about him as a coach? Because I want to talk about this clinic that we watched. This clinic is great. So uh, we should we should put the... Um, we should put it in the show notes yes. so somebody can watch it. It's what, like 40, 45 minutes, maybe? Yeah, it's easy. And it's just a, a clinic on offense. One, it's very funny because he makes fun of three high defenses, which a lot of people like to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. And he's saying, like, dude, if you play cover three, I'm very happy about that. Of course, TCU doesn't play cover three, so I can laugh at that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Grant, so you, you watched that today. What did you What did you notice about Sark? What do you think that he does offensively that's interesting and going to translate to Texas? And then we can kind of go into personnel. Let's let's do kind of scheme and then personnel. Yeah. I, so can I say off the top, the re- Sark came off as, like, extremely likable in that conference. Like, he seemed just like a dude that liked offensive football. Um, he also says National Football League a lot, which I really appreciate um, – like that's definitely a guy that was like with the Falcons. Like, like we're gonna compete and we're gonna score points in the National Football League. He he said it every time. He never said NFL. What I liked about Sark and what I liked about this clinic was how simple he made everything sound. Right? It seems like you know the way he made it sound is when you run an RPO, he called it a free completion. You know, every single time you run an RPO, that should be a completed pass in Sark's mind. Um, he started off showing a play against a single high safety with a leveraged high corner. Um, and just, hey, it's an easy out route. That's five yards completion every single time down the field until you sell out to try to stop it. Uh, and then that's when you start building concepts. And from what I gathered about Sark, the key to kind of breaking down defense is the key to sort of you know developing a, a cohesive offensive scheme is the ability to build layers in, right? You, you, you start working early on building concepts, teaching the defense, hey, this is what we're going to do. And then as soon as you think you've got us figured out, that's when we're switching. And I know that sounds super simple. I know that's like the complete concept behind play action, which even the coaches back in the Stone Age used to do. But the way Sark builds it is super interesting. Like RPOs to fake RPOs, RPOs to move the safety, um, and kind of just kind of build these explosive plays to go from a five-yard completion to a 10-yard completion to a 80-yard completion to a touchdown. Um just the way it sort of mind worked, the way he built those offenses really uh, was, was kind of insightful. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think this is really insightful because he, he has a lot of quotes in there that I, I you know, he, he, there's a lot of subtext. And so he talks yeah. about, you know, he says we want, we want to run the football. Yeah. What he means in the, in the context of the rest of the clinic, what he means with uh, we want to run the football is we want to have a credible rushing threat that you have to defend so that we can get the ball to our fast receivers in mm-hmm. space, um, which Bijan Robinson, very scary. You have to defend him. How does that open up the pass game? Um, the other thing that I really, really liked that he said, uh, I think the exact quote was something like Devonta Smith and I are the same speed when we're standing still. Yep. I think, I think at this clinic, it was actually Jalen Waddle because it was hurt. It was before Waddle got hurt. And so I think he said Jalen Waddle and I are the I, same I speed. I know Smith was on the team. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way, very fast receiver and I are the same speed. And so he's emphasizing, I want to I wanna pull the linebackers forward and then have my fast receiver running across, hit him with it, and then say good luck. Yeah. Um, which is just a good understanding of geometry and, you know, 
theology, even mm-hmm. <laughs> when we're talking about college football. And so um, there are people who are talking about the rushing attack at Texas. And I think that the rushing attack at Texas is entirely based on the idea of we want you to be scared of the rushing attack so that you will be exposed by the pass. Yep. To some extent, that's TCU's philosophy in a, in a very different way. Right. But I do think that is exactly what what Sark wants. I need a good running back that you're scared of so that I can exploit you over the top so that when you commit to defending the pass, then I can find the running back out of the backfield in the passing game or I can run the ball and just ruin your life. Yeah, and I think there's, there's two things that he said almost kind of back-to-back in the clinic that um, I thought were really key. One is how much he stressed moving a safety around. Right, and just get either getting the safety to come up to the line of scrimmage, even if it's one or two yards that you can slip in a quicker receiver behind them, or just getting the safety out of position in the defensive secondary using you know stack double post moves, things like that, just to make him make a decision. Even though when the quarterback knows, hey, I know where he's going to go, and I'm going to make the throw. The other thing you said, and I, I thought this is, I mean, it sounds extremely simple, but the game is about explosive plays. I mean, that's a verbatim quote, and he said, you know. It's really hard to string 12 consecutive good, solid plays together without someone screwing up at any level, college, high school, pros, whatever. Um, so that's kind of informed. I mean, I know the Falcons put up a lot of points when he was under them. Alabama, obviously, with their all-world athletes, were not afraid to put up points. It, he's not afraid to sort of build these concepts so that he can take advantage and go downfield or not even go downfield, just get one receiver in space with no one else around him and pick up an easy 40 yards. Um, So you're right. He does want to build those rushing concepts, but it's all building up to a, hey, if you take one step too many forward, it's 80 yards to the house. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, that is a really... The the differences between him and Lincoln Riley are, are, are subtle, and I won't pretend to have, you know, kind of the, the the deep grasp of that nuance, but it is a little bit different. I think that Lincoln Riley's offense is a little more smash mouth in that, hey, we're going to put big physical players in conflict and then we're going to go over the top. And then when you stretch you vertically, we're going to come under horizontally. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is going to be kind of an, uh, an entirely different, you know, a, a lot of motion. Alabama did a, a ton of yep. motion last year. We're going to isolate matchups. We're going to try and play one-on-one ball. And so it's just another wrinkle offensively in a conference that has really become defensively minded the last two years. And so I'm really interested in that from a big picture standpoint to say, how does Sark's particular brand of offense translate? Of course, the biggest question here is how does, how does, you know, who's going to be able to execute this offense. And at Texas, I do think we have a, a little bit of an old fashioned quarterback controversy. So I think we might as well go ahead and talk about, you know, Hudson card or um, Casey Thompson. It's kind of like uh, gosh, I was going to make a reality joke, a reality TV show joke from like 2004 and talk about the OC. And are you like, are you team Lauren or team LC? But Grant, are you, um, are you team Hudson card or team Casey Thompson? Who do you think is going to start? And uh, what have, what have you heard about this, this quarterback controversy? You are old as hell. Um, I am every day, a little I, bit more. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't have any inside uh, information. I will say that if I were to pick um, going just for this season alone, I would pick Casey Thompson. Uh, I think he's a, 
solid quarterback. I think he can do pretty much everything Texas wants to do. Um, and, I, and, and I would pick him. I, I am interested to see because we've kind of touched on this and we'll get to it a little bit later. Sark is building for the future. And Card, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, does have an extra year of eligibility over um, over Thompson. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, hey, man, like, I'm just going to have Hudson Card for four years. And we're going to start building on concepts now. So if I were picking for this year, I'd pick Thompson. For the future, I'd, I'd get picking Card. Yeah, th- this feels a lot like Shane Bouchel and Tyron Swoops, um, mm-hmm. which one, I just never miss an opportunity to bring up how funny Swoops there it is as a <laughs> Texas uh, season was he was. was that touchdown the Texas's back touchdown? Was that Swoops? I, I think so. Now that you've asked me, it's one of those things, like if you ask me what my phone number is, I'd have to think about it for a second. Right. It, it's kind of one of those. So I, I, I think so, but I, I have to think about it for a second. Um, go ahead. Um, I, Everyone I know that knows Texas is saying that Card is going to start under hmm. every circumstance, and every national outlet is saying that Casey Thompson is going <laughs> to start. Um, yeah, so so I've I've heard some pretty bad stuff about Thompson just being, you know, unreliable under pressure, a little a little bit insecure with the ball, and and that Sark doesn't have as much confidence in him. I don't know. I haven't been there, um, and so I do think that. Uh, I, I think that card will start at some point this season card will, will take the job over card could come in and have a great fall camp and, and they could just roll the dice. Um, but I, I, I bet Casey Thompson starts the first game uh, and, 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 and then card takes over kind of as quarterback of the future, which really is annoying. Cause that's super, not the position. Like you want to have a quarterback for the now and the future. You don't want right. to have to say like, Hey, let me have this stop gap over there. Um, well, they don't have to. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if if Sark wanted to, Casey Thompson's a junior, right? So keep him for the next two years, then start Hudson Card in 2023 and 2024 when he's a redshirt junior and a redshirt senior. The problem is that Hudson Card went to Lake Travis in Austin. He's the quarterback of the future, and they want to see him now. And also, Sark has to win games this year and next year before they start calling for his head. So, you know, kind of a tough call. Yeah, I can I can believe there's a little bit of a trade off, and again that that that's going to be wrapped up entirely in, you know, can can Sark come in and and lead Texas? That's kind of the biggest question. Can he can he lead the program, or is he going to be led by the program? And and I think this quarterback controversy is going to be emblematic of Sark's tenure at Texas, whatever that looks like. If he comes in and manages as well and plays Casey Thompson and they win and they do okay, and then Card is ready and he he throws him in there. Um, I think that's, you know, or, or if, or if card just starts day one and they, and they, you know, they go nine and three this year, um, either way, I, I, whatever happens with the quarterback controversy is going to be the issue for, or, or kind of the bellwether for Texas going forward, because Sark is not here to win in 2021. He's here to win in 2022 and on right saying, Hey, you're recruiting. We have high talent. You get an off season, teach your guys the thing. We'll have a season. We'll learn. And then you get another off season and then we should start winning. I, th- I think that's absolutely the expectation for Sark at Texas. And so the results on field matter less to me this year, I think, than kind of the, are you setting up the foundations for your program to have sustained success, which quarterback continuity is absolutely that a part of that. Yeah. Well, the problem is that neither you nor Steve Sarkeesian are a commenter on orangebloods.com. Or, oh, gosh, you know do, you have, like, do you have something for me? Or 
<laughs> Actually, I, I was hoping you had a specific post right now. No, uh, it's okay. I, I can it's bring right. one up. The point is, is that I, I, I think Texas fans, and, and probably rightly so, are kind of fed up with going nine and three and going ten and two. Like as much as you like to joke about the University of Texas, they have some of the best athletes in the country. They're the richest college college athletic program in the country, and they've had a sustained history of success. So there is like maybe Sark will get a one year grace period, and I hope he does. But I, I do think there's got to be some proof of concept early. And I think quarterback just plays a major role in that, which is why I would take Thompson. I, I, I think, of course, he's seen it in practice, of course. But from the general public's point of view, there's at least some knowledge of, hey, we know what we're going to get with Thompson versus what are we going to get with Card. Man, I'm kind of a gunslinger. I would just say let's let's roll with Card and then, dude, you know, because you know who's coming next year? This will, this will turn us into talking about recruiting for a little bit. Dude, Arch Manning's going to Texas. I, I think he? it's happening. I, I think so. Um, again, I <laughs> you just heard me talk off, off screen, off air. You just heard me talk about the Sopranos. Like, I'm old and don't know what the kids want now. But I can't pretend to divine what, a, what an 18-year-old's going to do. But I'm just saying, I think Arch Manning's going to go to Texas. And so why not play Hudson Card and be like, dude, if you're the guy, tell me right now. You know, what I, you know what I want Arch Manning to do? I want him to go to Ole Miss um, just so that like Lane Kiffin can do content with Peyton Manning and Eli and all them. That would be really funny. Like, uh, I, well, Peyton and, Peyton and Eli are, are occupied now, so. I guess that's true. Peyton's got a – have you watched his game show? My mom keeps trying to get me to watch it. No, and, I, and, and I'm not going to. Thank you for asking. Oh, come <laughs> on. I like Peyton Manning. Um, okay. So can, so can our, we zoom out for a second? We've done a bad yes, job. We've yes, done a bad, I, I've done a bad job. Not we let's, let's do some first principles. So, um, Texas this year, EPA <laughs> Sorry, this is a wild transition from the college quiz bowl or whatever the hell. I'm just zooming back. Go ahead. Uh, so, so I have Texas at like 23rd, 24th in, uh, in EPA margin. This year, you know, they're kind of above average in in the past when they when they connected, they did well on offense and their offense moved the ball pretty decently. Their defense is pretty susceptible to kind of giving up long drives. So they, they you know, they allowed 41 point, well, just 41 percent success rate and specifically against the rush. Uh, excuse me, the pass, they allowed 44% success rate. And so they, they they kind of were plagued with, you know, football's a game of opportunity, right? And if you can't, you can't deny people opportunities, then those opportunities are going to turn into big plays. That's just how it happens. You have more big, you have more opportunities, you have more big plays. And so Texas really struggled um, kind of on, on defense there. I think largely their offense was fine. And then, you know, I, you look at kind of an expected win loss. They were seven and three last year. I have them at 6.5 and 3.5. So largely I expected them to win most of the games they won and lose most of the games they lost. You can think about a couple games, Texas tech, Iowa state, both of those are coin flips. They, they probably should have won the Iowa state game. Sam Ellinger took a sack on third down that really just set up yeah. a super long field goal. And if that doesn't happen, Texas is eight and two. And we're talking about, yeah, we're just talking about a lot of different things there. So, mm-hmm. Last year was kind of a weird. I mean, they were third in the Big Twelve. Grant third. If I just took you face value yeah. and said, so 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 here's my one. I never would have hired Tom Herman. Um, so I'm I'm totally fine with hiring last year. Let me just play a narrative to you. 
about a random coach, right? Okay. A random coach last season finished third in his conference despite a coronavirus pandemic. That coach has increased our roster's talent by 81.88 points over four years, taking us from 13th in the nation to fifth in the nation. He has more than doubled the number of five-star recruits on the roster, and he has won a New Year's Six Bowl. That's all true of Tom Term- Tom Herman, right? And so the, the question with Texas is not, can you do enough? Because if you're, you're, your roster's that talented, you're going to be able to do enough. It's, can you win it all? And Texas absolutely has the talent. They have the fifth most talent in the nation. The, the thing that I'm interested in in Texas is, I think the talent is kind of mismatched for what you need to win mm-hmm. in modern football, right? They've got running backs. They've got some safeties that are just, you know, five stars. I don't know that they really have the, the kind of talent match to the roster construction to kind of take off this year. I, I would also add that Tom Herman did have a urine chart. Well, look, you got to be hydrated, man. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that you shouldn't be hydrated, okay? <laughs> no, no, I, no I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that those are all valid points. I mean, I remember Texas has wasted running backs for the last decade. Uh, was it Jonathan Gray out of Alito uh, was supposed to be the next big thing, and he had some injury issues, but never really pinned out at Texas. I mean, it, yeah, I, I think that's a really fair point. I, you know, it, it is it is weird. I mean, you fire Tom Herman, but it's really just because he was kind of a malcontent, and also there was no progress. Right, he started Grant, and they were pretty this good. podcast isn't family friendly. You can say Tom Herman is a dick. Oh, good. Okay, Tom Herman. Uh, Tom Herman was a dick, right? Like he started there, and Texas was pretty good, and then when he left, they were pretty good, but there was never any forward motion. You know, under Charlie, right. there was backward motion. Tom just kind of kept him consistent, but the consistency was nine and three. And listen, we're a TCU podcast. Consistency at nine and three, and the tone of the show would be a lot different if that's what the Horn Frogs were doing, but. Uh, it is kind of Texas, and it, it kind of was time to make a change. I, I am curious to see what Steve does with this sort of island of misfit toys, as you describe them, where there's a ton of talent, but is it a positions that matter? Um, do you want to sort of get into that talent, or do you have any more thoughts? I was going to talk about— No. I mean, oh, I was going to talk about Bijan, who I love, but that's it. I love Bijan Robinson. He might be the only person on the Texas offense that I actually do love. I think that he is a terrifying human being. Um, and I, I, I think that he was intentionally underused last year because Sarah Herman was worried about him getting hurt and wanted him for the future to their detriment. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think B. John Robinson is, is probably the best running back in the big 12, 8.1 yards, uh, per attempt. He had 18 runs almost you know, more, more than more than one in five runs were, were 10 plus yards last year. Grant, here's the stupid, the stupid, just this is dumb. This is nonsense and absolutely just just insane. 6.09 yards after contact on average. Is that good? That is real good. He's a big old boy and he doesn't care if you want to tackle him. He's going to the end zone. Um, You know, you think about uh uh, gosh, is it Jerry Clower? Jerry Clower. You know who Jerry Clower is? No. I am old. Jerry Clower is a comedian. He's from, uh, he's from, uh, you know, just off route Four, Liberty, Mississippi. And, and, and he talks about 
how the good running backs are the ones who are always falling towards the end zone mm-hmm. when they're getting tackled. And Bijan Robinson is one of those who's who's always falling towards the end zone. He's always pointing forward when he even when he yeah. gets tackled, he's pointing towards the end zone. Um, yeah, he is he is a scary person. Uh, yeah, sorry, I, I didn't know if you were going to talk about Sam Kennison next. I don't know where we were going with old comedians. Uh, yeah, no, he, he's a very scary person. Um, and he'll be featured a lot more considering Texas lost uh, uh, Keontae Ingram. Um, I. I mean, we've talked about it, and I do want to kind of touch on this. We talked about Sark and his schemes and, and everything, but um, Bijan really is sort of the prototypical back for what Sark wants to do in the passing game because he, he, he builds so much off of RPOs. You have to respect Bijan if they fake to him. You have to respect him if he splits out wide and kind of runs a dummy route, and he's also big enough to block people on the backside if they you know, run a quick route to, uh, you know, say, to the left flat. He can block the backside on the right protect whatever quarterback's back there or, or on a drag route if the wide receiver runs across. So he's kind of like the all-around threat, kind of really just designed for a Sarkeesian offense. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he had, you know, he had the most uh, attempts of any Texas player last mm-hmm. year. Um, and so it's kind of weird to say like, oh, he was still limited, but, but they legitimately they, they, they were limiting him. Yeah. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think his expanded usage, he can absolutely hold up to it. I think having Roshan Johnson behind him, another mm-hmm. highly touted recruit who's, who's played really, really well. Um, both of those guys are, are going to be a nice stable to kind of keep them fresh. The question with a running back like that is kind of twofold. One, do you have the offensive line to kind of give you the opportunities to make big plays? And two, do you have an outside receiver threat that's going to be able to have you, you know, free up that. Cause again, if you have a credible rushing threat, but you don't have a credible passing threat, then I don't care about your passing. Like I'm not, I'm not stretched vertically as a defense. Right. And so that's the bigger question for me with Texas. I think the run game is going to be excellent. What is the receiving game going to look like? Yeah, I know. You I lose, mean... you know, you lose, you lose Smith, you lose Epps. I, I, you lose a lot of targets there and, you know, Eagles, Eagles graduates and uh, looking at this, you've got basically Joshua Moore and then a bunch of guys behind him. And are any of those guys going to become dudes? Whittington might be a dude. I think Whittington I think has Whittington potential is for, a potential for being a dude. Yeah. I mean, I, I, but I know what you're saying. I mean, I, I, I would, I have a lot of faith in Jordan Whittington. Um, just me as a Texas high school football nerd. I mean, the guy put in one of the greatest performances of all time in that high school title game. But um, I, I think you can you can get by right with Whittington and with a uh, 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 with more at wide receiver, and then you can kind of build around, maybe develop some guys um, around them. But I think you can get by with those two as your primary wideouts, and then try to find a third and a fourth to build upon. Going well, and find find. Bijan out of the backfield or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I, I will exactly. say it's nice that they have the one-two punch of returning. So we talked about like Kansas has, um, oh my gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose names. If you're expecting um, me to remember a Kansas wide receiver no, outside of the Kansas I'm not going to remember. It's but not they parchment. Have, they have the, no, but they have the two guys, Luke Grimm and and who are Kwame Lasseter, I think. Yep, yep. Those two guys are great. They're, they're both slot receivers. And you're like, man, you really need <laughs> yeah, someone on the outside. And so... Texas is returning a, a their best backfield receiving threat in Bijan Robinson, their best outside receiver threat in Joshua Moore, 
and their best slot threat in in Jordan Whittington. So they kind of have they have layers. There's depth mm. to this offense. One thing I really like about Jordan Whittington, this is this is my favorite this is my favorite stat, I think, right now. I'm just I'm really into this with receivers. Um his average depth of target from the slot was 4.7 yards. Grant, his yards per completion, 9.8. So basically he's he's doubling yards when he gets when he gets the ball there, which is just it's dangerous. And that's kind of that Sarkeesian, hey, Jordan Whittington and and Parker Fleming are the same speed when they're standing still. Right. But if they can find ways to get Whittington the ball in space, given his demonstrated ability to create kind of yards after reception. I think in the slot, he could be pretty dangerous. I do too. And that kind of fit. First off, you should develop that stat. Just it's not yards after complete. It's just like whatever that is, like the difference between your average yard yards per reception and yeah, average so yards per catch. Can I improv to explain that like an idiot just to formalize that yeah. in my head? First off, so, let, me make, let me make it clear that I know what oh, both of those mean. I mean, I want you to develop the stat where you explain the difference, but go ahead. Yes. So this hypothetical idiot, um, so ADOT is average depth of target. It's how far the bar the ball travels in the air to you every time you're targeted. And then yards after completion is the results of the play. So big, big ADOT, big yards after completion means, hey, they're just chucking the ball to you. You're catching it and falling down. Small ADOT, small yards after completion means, hey, they're giving you the ball underneath and you're just falling down. So like... Um, for, for for TCU last year, Darwin Barlow had a really low A dot, a really low yards after completion because he was the check down mm-hmm. running back, right? Like they'd be like, oh, everything's going wrong. Let me just chuck the ball right. to you three yards. And so a huge difference there means you get the ball and then you're creating all of those yards after the catch, which yep. is just a really valuable skill. So I think that stat is really interesting in measuring kind of the explosiveness of receivers. For sure. And that's why I think Whittington's going to be so effective in a Sark offense because, and, and this isn't a new concept for sure. He just explains it really well. But at Alabama and, and, and in the pros with Atlanta, he would run a lot of plays where, you know, you let's say, you know, two receivers on one side, one on the other. Um, Devontae Smith somehow was always the one on the other because he's a freak athlete. But the two receivers on one side run double posts and the other receiver comes across and just fills that spot and makes the corner chase him across the field. And, and Sark had a great point, which is, that corner is looking to make a play at 10 to 15 yards in the middle of the route, right? Because that's when he expects the ball to come. But you make the receiver keep running and say, hey, you're not going to get the ball until the opposite hash, which fools the corner and also creates more space. So if the line can block for Thompson or Carter, whoever, so that Whittington can run across the field, fill that spot, get to the opposite hash, and turn and burn, man, he's, he's, he's tailor-made for that. Yeah, and so again, I, I think Sark has the skill weapons, theoretically, that he needs. Um, obviously, a guy like Malcolm Epps could have figured in really nicely to that offense, but you look back at Alabama, and it's like, eh, they, I mean, if you can if you can hit the ball deep and you can hit a running back out of the backfield, you need a blocking tight end, and Malcolm Epps is not that guy. Malcolm Epps is kind of like Pro Wells at TCU, where I still think it's so funny that Pro Wells, there were all these tweets and awards about Pro Wells being the most productive tight end. And you're like, yeah, well, I'd be the most productive tight end if I lined up at wide receiver the entire season. First, and let me make it clear, that is not Pro Wells slander. This is a Pro Pro Wells. No, podcast. Pro Wells is underutilized criminally. And we're, you know, we're talking to the feds. We're working on getting some investigation into why he was <laughs> so underused. But um, yeah, so so I, I again, I, I don't want to look at Texas last year. I want to look at Alabama last year. Alabama ran play action 
including RPOs, on 46.7% of their dropbacks last year. Texas was like 22%. And so we're going to see a dramatically different offense. Again, to compare kind of to the offensive top of the league, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley loves that kind of leak route. And a mm-hmm. leak route is really hard to defend. Uh, Najee Harris a little bit was running that, that wheel out of the backfield is effectively a leak because it is kind of a, a disguised route. But then Lincoln Riley says, oh, if you're going to defend that, I'm going to run a dart underneath and I'm just going to ruin your life. Mm-hmm. This adds another horizontal dimension to that leak route. And so if you can have three guys who can credibly catch the ball and get some, you know, get some yards after catch, that's that's really scary. Um, the, the key here, and I think the limiting factor on the Texas offense, Grant, you need time for RPOs and for play action. You sure. have to have time. So not only do you have to have good run blockers, you have to have time. I'm worried about the Texas offensive line. Are you? Okay, interesting. Tell me why. So I think Derek Kerstetter is going to move to right tackle, which is a position change that is going to benefit him greatly. You've got a lot of experience in Jake Majors, Junior Angelau. They're in the middle. Um, you know, you've got guys who have played uh, Denzel Okafor, who I think was in the transfer portal and came back. Um, really, really talented guys. There's a weak link at left tackle. I think if you watch the spring game for Texas, you will notice that they tried to hide Christian Jones Mm -hmm. and it did not go well. Like they were trying to minimize and he was still getting beat pretty regularly. Um, And so I think there are some vulnerabilities in this offensive line that are going to throw a wrench in Sarkeesian's plan for the offense this year. Yeah, I think that's fair criticism. I, I, I'm really big on Kerstetter. Um, I think he can play pretty much anywhere on the line. Um, I think on a scale of one to Cosme, he's like a a, a, a Scranton seven, sure, which is like a New York five. Okay. Um, a breeze past that. Uh, yeah, but, no, but, but, but Cosme was really good, right? So a Scranton seven, hey, man, I'll take it. Right. Um, no, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... If if he and Angelau and uh you know play on the right side of the line and then you put Majors at center, I'm I'm fine with the right side of the line. I don't really think there's any concerns there. Um, I I agree with your criticism of Jones. I I'm not as worried about this line as you are. Uh, I I think there's development to be had. I, I think the right side is solid. I I think you could probably move some guys around. Cause I think Kerstetter is is uh, versatile enough to do that. Um, I'm I'm surprised that Kerstetter is not. I'm sorry to interrupt there. You're fine. Um, I, I'm surprised that Kerstetter didn't grow into a left tackle. I don't really know. Yeah. I don't know enough. I can I, I can admit know. that honestly and truly. But you think like, man, my best tackle. I would like for him to play left tackle. Sure. And, and so I I don't understand that. Um, generally, I will say Christian Jones has has a lot of experience for all of my questions and my, my doubts he is experienced and he's had a full off season to, to grow. So yeah, I, I, I can agree. There's some mitigation there. Also he's big six, six, three twenty seven. That's yeah, stout. Man. That's a bell ringer. He's just hard to move. If nothing else, um, yeah. I'm going to cough. So you talk while I meet my mic. <coughs> Gross. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, but, but no, I, I, I think the line is, I, I agree. It's probably the weakest part of the offense. Um, but I, I'm not really that concerned about it. The offense should be good. It should. Like, it really, really should. We, the defense is what about, I'm worried. But yeah. 
wait, we talked about Baylor and we were like, okay, the offensive line has some holes and they have some really good skill talent. And I don't, but the quarterback situation, I don't know. So like if everything goes right to Baylor, it'll be like the Jalen Rager touchdown in 2019. Yeah. So do you remember that? I do. Right. Is 19 the right year? Yes. 19 is the right year. So TCU won that game like 16 to nine. And the reason they won it is because there was Jalen Rager touchdown Mm -hmm. where he caught the ball like three yards in front of the line of scrimmage. And there were like nine Baylor (laughs) defenders and Jalen Rager was just like, uh, I don't really feel like getting tackled. Sorry. Yeah. And he went to the end zone. And, and, he and so if if Baylor goes right, they're going to be a getting by on getting by offense. Texas, I think their ceiling is way higher. Um, because I think their quarterback options are both good, even if there are downsides to both. I think that Bijan Robinson is the best running back in the Big 12. Yeah. Sorry, Zach Evans lovers. I want, I want Zach Evans to prove me wrong. That's not doubting Zach Evans. That's not just yet. favoring experience. Um. And then, you know, you look at Moore and Whittington as as downfield threats, and you look at an offensive line that's very experienced. I think this offense should be able to score enough points to win in the Big 12. It absolutely should. Um, but the offense wasn't the problem last year either under Herman. Um, and I don't no, necessarily think it, it's going to be the problem again this year. Todd Orlando was the problem. Well, yeah, right, exactly. And so, you, well, hold on. First off, I want to say I think that Baylor game was 2018. It was. I'm well, old and my years run together. Well, I will confirm. But anyway, uh, that's not the hearing right there. Um, let's talk about the defense, Parker, because I'm not really sold. Are you? I'm not. Let me pull up some stats. So Texas last year allowed 0.158 EPA per play on defense, which was 50th in the nation. Um, and, and they allowed... 2.62 points per drive in expectation. So my expected points per drive stat, which is 73rd. And so they were a classic case of break, but not bend, mm-hmm. which is, it's is just really rough. They had one of the best defenders in the big 12, Joseph Asai. Um, and, and, and it just didn't, they just didn't have enough all around to kind of work. So they, they, they have basically four guys on defense that I think are going to be really interesting. Um, the first is Keandre Coburn. I, mm-hmm. I, I think Keandre Coburn is kind of the key to this defense. So if you want to learn more about the Texas defense this year, you absolutely have to go listen to the Make Defense Great Again podcast with Coach Vass. I will note that that title is tongue in cheek. Don't <laughs> don't take any um, don't take any conclusions from that. Uh, Vass was on our podcast and explained depth to the Gary Patterson defense that I didn't know that existed to us. So make sure you listen to that podcast of ours, but then go over to his podcast. He had Pete K, the new, um, the new Texas defensive coordinator on and, and, and vast just does these like three hour dives or like clinics. It's just absolutely incredible. And so, um, you, you can learn a lot there, but what you really need is you really need a guy who's going to be able to disrupt in the in the middle there. And so Keandre Coburn last year as a defensive interior lineman, nine pressures, 16 tackles. Um, and, and those alone don't measure his entire influence. I think that he is a guy who who is going to be disruptive in the middle. He's going to be a problem for interior offensive linemen all across the Big 12. And I think that he is kind of the linchpin of this defense, especially as we're seeing more shifting towards rushing in offense in the Big 12. He's the linchpin of this defense, especially because like three of their other biggest linchpins are gone. Right? I mean, Osai I'll allow it. it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Caden Stearns wasn't that great, but he's gone now. Uh, Taquan Graham on the line as well. Um, yeah. He, Coburn's really good. 
There's no doubt about it. Um, and he's going to have to be. I mean, you mentioned four guys that are going to be stars. I'm curious to hear which others are. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's sort of the man moving forward. The, the next player that I think is really important for Texas's defense is, is Demarion Overshawn. He has been hurt. He, also, he led the team in, in the spring. He's also famous for facing the wrong way during Max Duggan's touchdown run against Texas, which, yeah. Was it, okay, clarify that for me. Didn't he go out? I th- was, was it him that got oh, it ejected was him. for targeting? I, I still have the. No, oh, I thought, I'm pretty sure it was him. Someone else got ejected I don't, for targeting. Let me see. But anyway, but okay. no, I still have the GIF somewhere, but we'll pull this up. We'll, we'll look that up because I think that. So I'm, I'm looking at this, Grant, a visual picture in your mind, podcaster, visual medium. If you're looking, Max Duggan is on your left, the touchdown is on your right. Yep. The, the linebacker at the top of the frame. I'm pulling the, the right up frame. right now. Let's see. He covered the slot receiver. The linebacker at the bottom of the frame took three steps the wrong way and Max Duggan was past him. I think that Obershawn was the top receiver. I don't I I, oh, okay. so, I so don't I have think it. that was he, him. He he's in on that play. Um but he's the top linebacker. He's not the so again, still bad. But he's not the he's not the, the, he's not. the backup. Here's, whatever. Well, here's yeah. what I'm saying. So I'm watching a play right I now. I thought Juwan Mitchell Juwan Mitchell got tossed out, and Juwan Mitchell's replacement was the guy who just had his shoes untied on that play. So he, another guy had his shoes untied. Um, but I'm watching the play. We're doing this anyway because I like the clown on this play. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Overshawn is over the uh, slot receiver, kind of way between slot whatever. He chooses to follow the slot receiver, who takes like two steps to the outside after Duggan has already tucked and run towards the middle and then Duggan gets about uh, five yards past the line of scrimmage uh, in a hole where uh, Overshone was to start the play and then Overshone turns around and is like huh and that's how the play ends yeah so that play was excellent and look man you can try I, you might as well just face the wrong way when Max Duggan gets a that's single fair. high safety so that was my attempt to shoehorn in a Max Duggan <laughs> praise in, in this podcast but uh Overshone is good uh, and that play aside he's he's a disruptive force um and he's still kind of developing I think I don't think he's reached his full potential I mean he's a senior now so this is his last year to reach it but I, I still have a lot of faith in him to be like a really really good linebacker uh for the Longhorns yeah, I mean, obviously, when you look at some stats, like he had a missed tackle rate of 24%. He allowed, you know, 75% receptions um, and, and, and 7.2 yards per reception. I, I think that he will kind of tend towards an edge rusher mm-hmm. and less of a, like a coverage player, which will benefit him immensely. So he's not Joseph Asai, but he could be an athlete that is get to the ball. Yep. And so I think that will absolutely benefit him. Um, so he's kind of the second key to this defense. The The third key that I think is really interesting, Brendan Schooler, who was a receiver last year. Yep. Brendan Schooler last year had the sixth most targets, 11.7 yards per reception for Texas last year, has shifted to safety and very well could start this fall. Um, BJ Foster, I think, is not good. He, no, you sure there's is. some competition there. Uh, but, but, but Brendan Schooler, I think is really interesting on defense because he is an athlete and he is kind of one of those position change candidates that, that is really going to make you think what, like the, 
how are we going to handle this guy? I, right. I, I'm really interested in him uh, as a as a defensive uh, presence. Yeah, one of those guys. I mean, he's, just, he's been at four different schools. Um, he started at Mission Viejo. Uh, well, I guess it's a high school, but he was at Oregon and Arizona, and then he's at Texas now. Um, yes, he will be very interesting. Uh, we should touch on that. B.J. Foster, I'm not clowning on a college kid here. B.J. Foster went to Angleton, which is 45 minutes down the road from me. I had really high hopes for him at Texas, and he really just kind of hasn't been the player that they've expected him to be. Um, that was kind of a hole in their defense last year at safety. Yeah, at the risk of sounding like Andy Bernard when he wanted to uh, interview for manager, I wanted it to go better. I wanted B.J. Foster's tenure at Texas Yes, to go I, 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 really, I just, honestly just sincerely wanted it to go better. It just hasn't. Like, Caden Stearns, gone. I'm like, LOL, you moron. Like, that's fine. BJ Foster is like, right. oh, yeah, you should have been better than this, and it did not happen. Come on. It's like, come on. It's like Charlie Strong. It's like, come on, man. Like, gosh. Like, you're, you're, not, well, you're not on my team, but I still kind of want you to succeed. Yeah. 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 Um, who's, who's, your, uh, who's your fourth guy? Okay. The fourth guy is a transfer. So, Everyone in the world wants to say that Texas linebacking core is the, the the biggest problem for 2021. I'm still sticking with the offensive line, but I agree the linebacker it's it's confusing. I don't I don't necessarily know what the linebacking core is going to be. Texas took four uh, legitimate transfers who could compete for the starting job. The most interesting of them is Ray Thornton. Ray Thornton was rated .9206 as a prospect. He's from LSU. And I think Ray Thornton will start for, for Texas in another linebacker position and immensely boost that, that offense or d- defense rather. So I, I think he and he and Schooler are kind of similar in that they're unknown, but they are the kind of guys that if the Texas defense is better this year, those two will have a role and 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 will be really really positive. So I think Ray Thornton might be the most interesting person on Texas's defense, if not Texas's entire team this fall, just because linebacker is such a big question mark, and and he's a guy with a ton of potential. I, I will push back on that and say that the most interesting person on Texas's team is a player that I've just discovered named Tannehill Love, which I believe is your nickname on Tennessee Titans message boards, right? Uh, my nickname on Tennessee Titans message boards is, uh, I can't, I can't say it on air. It's fine. <laughs> I don't want no. to be really fun. Uh, um, no. I, yeah. That, that was a great get for Texas, right? And, and anytime you have a chance to bring in a guy, I mean, from, you know, another power five program is highly talented as LSU, get him to flip over to you, um, and kind of fill that gap. He, he is a great unknown, right? And that's going to be super cool to see what, uh, the Texas defense can do. I, I will say that I think the biggest weekend, I, I'm not sold on either of the Texas uh, defensive coordinators. And that's really what kind of gives me pause with this defense. I don't have faith in um, in Kwiatkowski or, or, or Choke, but uh, that's just me. I think that you are dead wrong on, on Pete K. Okay. Um, and that's that's fair. It's Kwiatkowski, I would say, by the way. Listen- I, I should, I apologize. Kwiatkowski. That's how you pronounce it. I'm not. I'm not going to try. Okay. Um, I I I really think that Texas was middling at defense last year, and I think worst case scenario this year they're going to be middling again. Um, especially with someone like Coburn. Again, the edge is a question, right? Like who who are going to be the edge rushers? Who's who's going to kind of step up and dominate there? But 
I do think that I do think that Texas's defense will be fine this year. And so you ask yourself, okay, transition year, the offense is fine, the defense is fine. Is that a bad year for Texas? If Sark comes in and wins eight or nine games, what are we what are we talking about here? Right. right? Um I don't, I honestly am not sure. So that, that, that kind of lends me to look at the schedule. We don't have to go there yet if you don't want to, but no, I, 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 I was, think, I, I think I'm at the go. point where I'm like, man, the chips are on the table. What does the yeah. schedule look like? I, I don't know. I was going to go there. I, I did want to give a shout out, um, just to Texas's special teams, which are insane. You bring back a uh, digger, the kicker, and you also have, uh, Brian, uh, Buchevsky at punter, um, just, I mean, we don't have to analyze it. I just want to say one of the best, like, specialist units in the country. Um, okay, but yeah, you know what? Let's look at the schedule. Do you know who they start the season with? A very losable game. <laughs> yeah, man. It is Louis- I, I the agree. Louisiana Raging Cajuns at home. The who Who have deserved to be called... They're not Louisiana Lafayette no. anymore. They have deserved to be called Louisiana. Grant, I've been doing these coaching graphs. I think you guys have seen it on my Twitter where I've looked at kind of kind of using some fancy statistical methods to compare coaches. Billy Napier at, at Louisiana has been worth 4.2 wins uh, above expected uh, <laughs> since 2019 or 2018. That's which is absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Um, they're going to win that game. I just want to prepare everyone for it. They, they have no business winning that game. They're going to win that game. Louisiana or Texas? No, Texas. Okay. Don't. Sorry, I just want to make sure. No. Yes. Sorry. My my pronoun antecedent agreement there was was not good. My middle school English teacher yeah. would be so disappointed in me. I think she would be mostly disappointed in me that I can't remember her name in this moment. But I can see her face, <laughs> and she would be very disappointed in me. Uh, okay, yeah. So I, I do have that as a win, although a scary one. That is going to be an annoying okay. win. That is, that is going to be so annoying. That's going to be like 31 to 29 with Louisiana having the ball under two minutes. Orange Bloods, Grant, we're going to do the. That's 9 4 because TC is playing Duquesne that weekend. Yeah. We're going to do a 15 minute segment on the podcast where we scroll through Orange yes. Blood after this freaking game. Okay, it so, is going to be so bad. So you don't. Okay. It gets worse because the next weekend they play at Arkansas. At Arkansas, who? <laughs> like, it's like okay, like really, Texas is going to go two and zero. There is a world where they're zero and two, and it's not like an like out of the realm of possibility. Like, it is a very real problem, like possibility. Yeah, I mean, they're they're going to go two and zero. Yeah, they are um, right, but. Like it's possible they're open to. Like, like we both had this as wins. Like it is very possible Texas is open to. I don't think there's a more annoying two and O. Keep this no. in the show notes for me. But I don't think there's a more annoying two and O in the country than than a than a thirty one twenty eight win over Louisiana. And like a, a freaking 56 to 53 win over Arkansas. With people just calling the hogs the whole damn time. I mean, it is brutal. Oh my God. Um, uh, I went, I went in 2019. I went to Arkansas and Colorado state. The, uh, the stats little brother is, uh, is at Arkansas. Uh huh. And, uh, we went to a game and I, you know, I grew up an Arkansas fan, whatever. And their seats in their stadium are so. Grant, you can see it. My Which shoulders stadium? are pretty big. Which stadium? Because the Arkansas Stadium. 
Well, they, they play in uh, no. Little no, Rock. No, no, no. War Memorial's in Little Rock. They do that one. I've been to Louisiana State, Arkansas, and, and Little Rock. That's pretty okay. great. You're talking they, about the one they can't do conference yeah, games yeah, there okay. anymore. Yeah, yeah. The Fayetteville, the home stadium. Those seats are so little. You can see right now, my shoulders, man. I just, I have weird proportions. Sure. And I had to sit in there next to two, you know, two two little old ladies who were screaming screaming about the hogs. And I was like, man, I'm rooting for Arkansas, but I'm not necessarily having fun right now. <laughs> Well, Texas won't okay. have fun either. Uh, they do get a break the next week. They play Rice. So, at least, there you go. Um, by the way, the Rice yeah, so Bowl, I, ugly and eyesore. Tear it down. Build a new one. I think they're going to go 3-0. They're going to go uh, They will. They will. But, like, 2-1, and one, it had to be Arkansas. They're not going to lose to Louisiana. I don't know. Yeah, they'll, they'll be 3-0. They'll be 3-0. I think it's more likely go ahead. that they lose to Louisiana than Arkansas. I, I think... You might be right. Just at, like, I think if Arkansas and Louisiana played ten times, Arkansas would win six of them. But I think that Louisiana is more likely to be Texas than Arkansas. Yeah, it being at Arkansas after that weird Louisiana game is the only thing that gives me pause. But sure, okay, three and though. I, we're we're in agreement. I think that maybe I'm just in love with the Arkansas offense because I broke them down for the bowl game that didn't happen. But yeah, so okay, three and zero. Three and zero. Let's call it. Okay. 3-0 going to or 3 0 hosting Texas Tech. No, pause. 3 0 beating beating Louisiana, who's the top of the Sun Belt. Where is where is Texas ranked on oh, November, uh, or on September twentieth? Fourteenth. Right. No no lower than than sixteen, right? Yeah, no, I, they're fourteenth. They beat Louisiana top of the Sun Belt. They beat Arkansas on SEC team. They pound rice into the dirt. They're fourteenth hosting Texas Tech. Okay. They're Okay, Texas is going to be this is so freaking funny. This is this is the only thing that brings me joy in life at all. Texas is going to be 4-0 in a top 15 team and roll into forward and lose. <laughs> they're going to be they're going to be number 10 and TC is going to beat them like 38 to 17. Oh my god, I love my life so much. They're going to go 4-0 and be a top 15 team and roll into Fort Worth on October 2nd. Steve Sarkeesian, I'm sorry, man. That's just those are the rules, dude. Yeah, that's I how hate, it happens. I hate it for you, but they're gonna lose that game. Then they go to the Cotton Bowl to play Oklahoma, so they're gonna lose that game too. Yeah, I can't. I can't. And at this point, they're twenty. There. Yeah, right. At that, at they're that still point, ranked tw- after a loss to TCU. Sure, twenty fourth against Oklahoma. That's Oklahoma gonna be State. game day. I guarantee that's Cotton Bowl, no, Oklahoma, yeah. Texas. Oh, Cotton Bowl, yeah, yeah. That's going to be, yeah, two top 25 teams. I think they'll do Cotton Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then so you're 4-2, and two, you're ranked 25th, and you're playing Oklahoma State in Austin. I think you win that game. I'm saying no. I'm saying body blow theory. You've got to buy the week ahead. You're tired. You just kept, you just got an ass kick against TCU and Oklahoma. Not in the sense that you got your ass kicked, but more in the sense that you just played two physical games. I, I say Texas starts four and zero and goes four and, and goes zero and three. Ooh, okay. So we're we're different there. I have met five and two. Um, can you believe that? Can you can you at least believe oh, that world I, though? That dude, that idea. I just told of like, you I could believe they can go zero and two to start the year. Yeah. No, yeah, I can I can yeah. believe it for sure. Absolutely. But I, I have met five and two. You have met four and three here. Um, you go to at Baylor. That's a win, I think. It's an annoying win. It's but an it's annoying a win. win, but it's a win. So so I, far, so far. Three three of Texas's five wins are very annoying, they which are. does not bode well. And then they go to Iowa State. I don't think they're going to win that game. I don't game, think they're going to win that game. So I'm at five and four. You're at 
four and no, I am at six and three. You're at five and four. I don't know, man. They're more talented than them. They have a better. They're more talented than Iowa State. They yeah, have a I'm better head coach. This game. They should have beat them last year when they weren't as more talented. I'm fifty fifty. I'm still going to say they lose to Iowa State. I would circle that game. I think I'm circling eleven six Iowa State Texas in Ames. Is I, interesting. I, I think that's like the win you hang your hat on. I think you go to Iowa State, you beat them. Oh my gosh! If Sark wins that game, Austin's gonna. F- oh explode. yeah, absolutely. So I have them at six and three. You're at five and four. Go to Kansas or host Kansas, win that game. You play West Virginia. At okay, West Virginia. I wrote this post. I wrote this quarterbacks post today. I believe in Jared Daigie, man. I, I believe you, in Jared Daigie. You're the only. One. I believe in Morgantown. I'm saying they lose that stupid game. That is a that is Texas's stupid loss. For 2021, West Virginia. No, they're going to win that. Um, and then home for Kansas State, which I think is a win. Oh, my gosh. So I have them going 4-0 and and then going 4-5. Like 3-5 and 5 after that, which is 7-5 and five total. That feels like the worst-case scenario. I feel like I just talked myself into Texas's worst-case scenario. I have them at 9-3. and three. I, I might have a ten and two. I have them losing TCU and Oklahoma and Iowa State. Okay, yeah. So I have I have them at nine and three. And I have seven and five because I have oh, Oklahoma Christ. State and West Virginia as more likely. Yeah. I don't know that I like those bounds. I feel like seven and five is too low. There's no way they lose Oklahoma State and West Virginia. They're too talented. Yeah. I I, I think you can call each of those like a half one and a half loss. So so I'd put the bounds at eight, eight and four and and ten and two. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I think that's right. Because I think they'll lose. It would be two, really funny. They'll lose two of Oklahoma, TCU, and Iowa State. Yes, it would be really funny if the two were like Oklahoma State and Kansas State. <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes Kansas, I just root for if they chaos. lose to Kansas, like Sark's getting fired. No, no, Kansas State. They're not losing to Kansas. Look, we like Lance. Oh, you said Kansas we're not, State. Kansas bad, is not bad, a meme bad, anymore. Bad, Kansas okay. State. They're not going to be can. They're not going to lose to Kansas. No. Okay. Um. So so that's that's an Alamo Bowl, right? Texas yes. getting Texas getting ten ten or not nine or ten wins is that worst in Alamo Bowl? They're back, um, baby, to the Alamo Bowl where they were like last year. Which you look at, you're like, this is observationally equivalent to the outcomes under Tom Herman. But yeah. for some reason, I feel optimistic Just about much it. Much so more I, optimistic. I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Okay, um, this, I think this, we played this game in 2019, Grant, when when this podcast was kind of in its inception. We talked about at what point does Max Duggan take over for Alex Delton for TCU? Mm-hmm. If Casey Thompson starts drive one against Louisiana and Louisiana and Arkansas are annoying wins, what game are you putting? What what game are you betting that Hudson Card starts? Starts. Where's the first time he takes or plays? Over? No, takes over. I'm saying when Hudson Card takes over, what game is that going to be? Um, it's one of two, and it depends on like best case, worst case scenario, right? So it's either Texas Tech or Baylor. So l- l- let me talk through this. Okay, so so Texas Baylor. C- tell me about okay. that. Sorry. So Thompson starts against Louisiana and Arkansas. Is mid against both. They're blowing the hell out of Rice. Card comes in, 
just, I mean, it's a blowout, right? There's defensive touchdowns, whatever. Card comes in second half, throws for three three TDs. Has a great week of practice, starts Texas Tech. They say, hey, listen, we're making the switch before Big 12 play. He's our guy. Or Thompson plays really well against Louisiana, Arkansas, and Rice. They win those games. They beat Tech. Then they lose three in a row. TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. It's all going downhill. we got to make a change. Let's get Hudson Card in there. Going to Baylor. Interesting. So so I, I think looking at this, the game after Baylor is Iowa State. I think Hudson Card starts no later than Iowa State. I could see him starting as early as, as, as TCU. I don't think Sark is dumb enough to switch quarterback. So this is all predicated on Casey Thompson takes the first snap, right? Right. Sark is smarter than, you know, if TCU, they lose to TCU, it doesn't go well. Thompson doesn't play well. Sark is not throwing Hudson card out there against uh, Oklahoma. No, 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 no. I think Oklahoma state is the game, right? I think that Oklahoma, Texas could be a, you know, like a, a 54 to 42 game where Texas scores three second half touchdowns in garbage time with card. And they say, you know what? They, they, so they were never in the game against no, Oklahoma. No. They're saying, you know what? We're rolling with this guy. And then they start him with Oklahoma at home. I don't think if card is going to be the guy and he's, he, he's going to start by Oklahoma. Absolutely. Oklahoma state. You mean the Oklahoma state? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. The other thing, uh, there is a buy in between Oklahoma state and Baylor. I think it'd be a good time to make a switch, but I, I could see your scenario happening. Um, Okay, this podcast has gone on really long. Do you want to play our other favorite game? Well, I looked that up, but I I think there's more important things. Okay. Orangebloods.com just tweeted. Yeah. Texas expected to inform Big 12 as early as next week it intends to leave. I <laughs> Um this it's Dear so listener, dumb. if you've made it this far in the podcast and I know this podcast devolves it happens we hit the 45 minute mark and then we just go into the abstract nothing we go through the looking glass and if you're here i appreciate you prepare yourself for the american athletic conference to be the fifth power five conference prepare yourself to play tulane and houston and memphis and cincinnati and navy every year just steal yourself that's happening tc was going to land there best case scenario that becomes the, the you know the, the fifth AQ conference, maybe the super conference. We do not want to go to the Pac-12. We do not want to go back multiple time zones every week. Um, the the we knew the Longhorn Network was doomed. We knew that Texas hated the fact that they had to let TCU in. We know that Chris Del Conte is a shrewd businessman and a conniving son of a bitch. We know this is going to happen. Steal yourself. I'm sorry to break this live on air. I hated every minute of that. TCU, in my opinion, should win the freaking Big 12 this year, put up the birds, and go independent. <laughs> that I don't hate. I don't hate that. I would rather be independent. Just make our own damn schedule. Well, Let's look at Texas. Okay, let me do my serious bit, and then let's get out of here. What percent crazy is it, Grant, for for Texas to be in the Big 12 championship this year? It is 70% crazy. 
Dang, I was going to say like 38. Well, the only reason I say that is because I don't think they're a favorite to make the title game. No. And so I I, I try to say, okay, like the two favorites, let's call the Oklahoma's almost a 90% chance, right? Iowa State's probably up there. You probably give them a 70% chance. I was trying to play it where Texas isn't a majority percent favorite to make it. Um, I think 93 is like almost like... Whatever, however, the losses average out, they're going to average out to nine and three. I just don't think that'll be enough to make the title game. But you could see it break in some way, where maybe they go ten and two, whatever, and, and they make it. But I, I think it's seventy percent crazy, which to me means there's a thirty percent chance they make it. Okay, so I, I I'm with that on that logic. I I, I think I'm there. I, I I you know I did that thing earlier, like a couple weeks ago, where I kind of did the bounds, and I think I had Texas from second to seventh, just saying like. Neither hmm. one would surprise me. If they are terrible this year, I'd be like, yep, that makes sense. Transition, they don't have the players Sark wants, whatever. If they were second and found themselves in the Big 12 championship, I'd be like, yeah, they're really talented and Sark knows what he's doing. So I can believe either of those. Yeah, I like it. Um, um, can I interest you in in maybe the most tex- Texas alumni of all time? Sure. Alan Bean. Yeah. Do you know who Alan Bean is? He's an astronaut. He, he, was, uh, he walked on the moon. Yes, but I think this is so fitting for Texas. He was not the first person to walk on the moon. No. He wasn't the second person to walk on the moon. No. He wasn't the third person to walk on the moon. His claim to fame is he was the fourth person to walk on the moon, which is awesome. Space exploration is super cool. But <laughs> Texas's best astronaut alumni being the fourth person to walk on the moon just feels very fitting. He was the nine and three of walking on the moon. Yes. <laughs> I, I the, the one that I found I did not and so you mentioned space Neil deGrasse Tyson has a MA from Texas uh, oh my gosh I did not know Farrah Fawcett did not graduate but did go to the University of Texas we'll, we'll let it count that's great that, that that's a it's bonus that. um, William Buckley Sr. father, father of William, William F. Buckley, Buckley Jr. Jr. yeah uh, which Mc- I, I don't know that William F. Buckley Jr. would be welcome on campus in Austin. I'm, I'm really so not sure they let him in the, on the premises. Uh, yeah. Of course, you have Owen Wilson, uh, Wes Anderson, that whole crew. Um, Rex Tillerson, former Secretary of State. Uh, yeah, I mean, Texas, uh, like, honestly, I was trying to make fun of this. Texas has some really cool alumni. Um, Dude, if you can, Janice Joplin, Nancy Griffith, like... Yeah. Like, it's kind of hard. I mean, like, Ben Crenshaw, who's, like, a golfing... I mean, they're golf... I mean, Jordan Spieth, obviously. The golf program is incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, they just have, like, cool people that went there. It's really... Made, like, a lot of these... The guy again, wrote, it feels very Texas... Oh, I was going to say, ahead, the, the guy that wrote... Uh, well, you, you might have been too old for this, but uh, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. Uh, the guy that I'm wrote I'm old those, enough to think that Percy Jackson is stupid, so... Okay. I'm just kidding. I don't well, have an opinion right. about Percy Jackson. Anyway, the guy that wrote that, Rick Reardon, went there. You can kiss my butt. I love those series. Uh, uh, many many of the Bushes and Richards, that uh-huh. uh, deplorable, uh, evil person, went there. What? what Jeb where, Bush, what, Greg what, Abbott. What, what's wrong with Ann Richards? Ann Richards is the reason that TCU didn't get in Oh, right. Richards. You're right. You're right. Screw her. Um, How dare you? How dare yeah, you? Yeah, I know. You're right. You're right. Uh, also, uh, Lady Bird Johnson. Everyone go to Grant's Twitter and make fun of him for not did knowing you know, about Ann Richards and just ruin his life. Texas apparently has an alumni named J.J. Pickle. 
And there's a JJ Pickle Research Campus. Love a good JJ Pickle. Stacy Abrams. Uh, really? No, no comment. No value judgment. Just no, I just I didn't know that. That's that's very interesting. She got a master's of public something public P- MPA. What the hell is an MPA? Masters in public administration, maybe. Ah, uh, that sounds right. She is kind of a career politician yeah. person. So, yeah, someone, uh, someone who is the guitarist for the Iron Maidens, not Iron Maiden, uh, which is again very Texas. Uh, Jane Mansfield, uh, mother of Mariska Hargitay from Law and Order, uh, and a famous actress in her own right, apparently went there for a while. I'm I'm going to put a bow on this because I think I found the best one. Go ahead. Ron Gardenhire. Gar- really? Gardenhire. Okay. Yeah, who is just like the MLB manager where. I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm going to hire an MLB manager. That Ron Garden hire yeah. is who you hire. He he is he has just been around <laughs> he is, all over. He is like Mendoza line manager. Um, yeah. Please at 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 one a.m. tonight. So that's going to be Friday morning when you hear this because this is going to post on Thursday at like eight at one a.m. Please everyone go to Grant's Twitter account and just tell him the funniest Texas alumni that we missed. Um, yeah, please. he gets notifications on his phone. It'll wake him up. Sincerely, please do that. I will wake up at two a.m. and cackle at. You know, Kinky Friedman or whoever you find. Um, this has been the Purple Theory podcast. It's been fun being in the Big 12 grant. It was nice to pretend to have a seat at the table, even though in 2014 and 2015 and 2017, we knew that we didn't really have a seat at the table. It was at least nice to, nice to theoretically think we did. And you know what? I will, I will enjoy winning the American Athletic Conference uh, six years in a row and never being allowed in the college football playoff. So I'm a, uh, your ass is grass Cincinnati. We're coming for you. Look, Tulane. I've been nice to Tulane. We're going to, we're going to get after their ass. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at stats war, and you can find grant on Twitter at grant McGalliard spelled like it sounds with all those vowels. Go subscribe to the purple theory newsletter, purplethory.substack.com. Today I did some fun with numbers and quarterback accuracy, and we will be promoting some content. Um, we have a big announcement. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just leaving keep it your, there. Keep your I'm ears to the streets. If you haven't subscribed now, what what are you doing? And and like in the name of God, go subscribe right now because we got a we got a big announcement. It's going to be pretty great. So other than that, thanks for subscribing. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week. Grant, what team are we going to cover next week? We are going West to cover. Yeah, let's do it. Why not? Okay, I don't. I, I honestly didn't know. We'll do West Virginia. Sure, that sounds great. <laughs> go Frogs. Go Frogs. <laughs>